Follow Sean on social media at Sean B. Planet. His podcast audio is on the Sean B. Planet channel on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. His videos are on YouTube and BitChute. Live streams on DLive and Twitch. Blogs, links, and other stuff can be found at SeanBPlanet.com. Sweet. Hello, hello. Welcome in. We're here on Instagram Live. We're here on DLive, Trovo, YouTube, all the things. Not on Odyssey yet. Um, Welcome in, y'all. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Hope all is well. I got a uh, pimple on my third eye. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. Good omen or bad omen. Feeling feeling enlightened, you know? Feeling enlightened tonight. I am Sean Corey. This is the Sean V Planet live stream. You can find my blog and devotional stuff and all my other content stuff on my website, SeanVPlanet.com. What's going on, Joe? Good to see you. Thanks for tuning in. Y'all know the deal. You know what's up by now. Tell the people. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies about the stream, about what I'm doing. Devotional reading streams if you like those. Blog stuff. I got more of those coming out. Um, and yeah, follow me at Sean V Planet on Instagram, TikTok, Telegram, Gab, BitChute, Rumble, YouTube, and on all the podcast places. And yeah, help a brother out. Subscribe, follow, share, hit me up. <laughs> hit me up. Um, P.O. Box is in the show notes if you want to send me letters or stuff there physical stuff snail mail and uh i'll write back if you want to be pen pals and start a little little chit chat conversation um got a few pen pals had some drop off and i got a new one in the last few weeks so send me the stuff p.o boxes and notes let's get into this topic tonight um i know some people have some feels about this show and you know, it seems to be uh, taking the international internet by storm. So I figured we'd talk about it. It's also kind of, you know, spooky, creepy, um, the Halloween, October, fall theme, you know, which was probably a strategic release by Netflix, but um, right on. I don't know what 5x5 five five is, but Bear7, 07's in the chat. <laughs> What's going on, said? My man. Donate an ice cream on DLive. Appreciate it. Joe Gagan's here. What's up? Hope all is well, brother. And uh, I got a pit bull emoji going on, saying hi to me in the the live chat. Love it. (laughs) Love it. But yeah, this one's going to be a weird stream. (laughs) I just felt like I had to talk about it. Um, Share my thoughts, share everything, and kind of summarize it for people who don't want to actually watch the show. And we'll get into that at the very end, my my full take on the whole show. Five by five, loud and clear. Love it. Awesome. Dope. Dope. (laughs) Dope, bro. Thanks. Let's get into it. My take, my thoughts on the Netflix show Squid Game, which is all the rage. It's the most watched show of all time. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone has theories. Everyone's making TikToks about it. And we're going to talk about it tonight here. And... As you know, of course, of course, I illegally streamed it. (laughs) As, you know, I would never give Netflix my uh, energy, my time, or my money, at least directly, you know? I guess I'm still indirectly consuming their show or whatever, but 
You know, don't feed the beast when you don't have to. And serious warning here, serious warning here, right now, listen up, serious, serious warning here, not just for spoilers, but also for graphic descriptions and themes that I'm going to get into. Um, the show is definitely bloody, gruesome, evil, <laughs> and just not for kids or the weak-hearted. Um, I just wanted to talk about this because there is... There is a good amount of gravy in this show and some insights into, you know, human beings in their fallen state. Um, some profound thoughts about all that. The show is pretty insightful and, um, you know, despite how bloody, gruesome, dark, horrible it gets, the uh, whole theme is one that actually um, seeks to show how humans can learn to survive and thrive well by doing and seeking what is right. Um, even if it's not, <laughs> we'll get into it. Not even though they're not truly seeking the logos of God and truly seeking righteousness, they are seeking how to be good, and it kind of prevails in a closed sense. Um, Green Thumb says, "Have to run. I'm only on episode one." Yeah, if you don't want it spoiled, watch the show and then come back and hear my thoughts. You can always find my streams. You know all the places, um, but. You could also just hear me break this down because I'm just going to break it down and explain the whole show and uh, all the events if you don't <laughs> want to watch it. It can be pretty glaring or jarring. Um, good friend of mine is having perforated bowel surgery tomorrow. Praying for my buddy Jimmy Lee. Man, prayers up. Prayers in the chat. Everyone watching right now um, for tomorrow. What would that be? October 19th. Pray for Jimmy Lee. Definitely, man. I'll definitely be praying tonight. Good friend of mine. Perforated bowel surgery. Does not sound fun. <laughs> Does not sound pretty, not sound fun. But we will be praying for him. And things will turn alright. One way or another. In this life or beyond, things will turn out alright. So, yeah. Green Thumb had to check out. Green Thumb Bear. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, sorry. This is going to be literally just a spoiler. I'm going to just talk about the entire show. So, again, if you are if you don't want it spoiled, uh, turn off. It's not just a little bit of spoilers, not theme. I'm talking about the whole show right now. Um, we're going to break it down. So, um, yeah, despite all the ugliness, the chaos, the lies, and the evils that is in this show, um, the evils of this show by the various people in and outside of the game, a handful of the characters are shown to have good hearts deep down who are seeking to overcome their faults and problems by doing the right thing and not just seeking their own selfish well-being or personal gain. At least as time goes on in the show, you know, as the show progresses. Um, a lot of them start out pretty, pretty fallen and, you know, they, they kind of elevate a little bit as they seek to become better people. But in the end, you know. There's only one winner. <laughs> um, it is an insightful look into the human heart, but you can't, but if you can't handle violence and dark imagery and intense visual situations, um, please do not watch the show. <laughs> please do not watch the show. It gets pretty intense and pretty graphic, pretty jarring. Yeah. Um, but if not, you can just feel free to listen to this breakdown and my opinions on it right now and, you know, and or just find some YouTube videos breaking it down. 
um, and summarizing it if you're interested and find a way to not give Netflix your money. <laughs> if you do want to watch it, find it elsewhere on the internet, streaming sites and stuff. Um, you know, but yeah, just make sure you're discerning as you watch it, read between the lines and yeah. Just again, warning, if you can't handle bloodshed and violence, there's a lot in the show. I'm not going to get too into the characters or talk about the subplots that are pretty well done and interesting, but just talk about the game itself, the players, the themes, the imagery, the point and the purpose as I see it, and how much it failed. <laughs> how much the show failed in general by lacking God, you know, and attempting to actually ridicule God at points. So with that, let's get into it. We're breaking it down. We're talking about it. I'm going to sort of summarize the whole show while explaining the imagery and themes being shown to us by the creators and the producers and, you know, likely even some revelations shown to us that they um, might not have known they were, they were doing while making and distributing this, you know. I think they thought they were producing something that they might not have been. Um, it's pretty eye-opening when you, you know, read between the lines and discern what's going on. So with that, let's go. Squid Game. Everyone's talking about it. It's the rage. I'm, I'm probably going to dress up like it for Halloween. <laughs> but this is the Squid Game. So in present year, I think it's 2020, but, you know, quote unquote, present year, um, Korea, South Korea. Hundreds of desperate, broke, criminally charged, down on their luck people are given the chance to play a game. Quote, play a game and win tens of millions of dollars. A salesman approaches these folks separately in public spaces and asks, asks them to play a game of, I think it's Jockey, Jockey, D-D-A-K-J-I, Jockey. If they can't beat him, if they can beat him, they will win close to $90. And if they don't, he gets to slap them, like physically slap them. Again, these people are like broke, down on their luck, desperate people being approached we see the main character that we're following and introduced to play and lose over and over and over again and being continuously slapped as a result before finally winning one time ending the game and taking with him the cash we also see later on that all 546 i'm sorry 456 players in the game also went through the same experience these people are given a card with a triangle square and circle on it to contact a mysterious group playing a higher stakes game. Those who choose to participate are brought like prisoners to a secret location, and they wake up clothed in greenish-blue jumpsuits in a giant room with hundreds of others like them who also choose to play in the game. Choose being the key word. Reddish-pink colored guards come into the room with circle, triangle, and square shapes on their black masks and explain the rules of the game. Although not very well at first, you know. Um, they kind of have to clarify some stuff as the game progresses. But in total, there are six games. And the one who wins the final game will receive tens of millions of dollars cash. The game participants are asked to sign a contract with three clauses. One is that all players must keep playing the game. Two, all players who refuse to keep playing the game will be eliminated. And three, all games end if the majority of players agree to stop. This contract is clearly not legally binding as the whole enterprise is 
clearly breaking laws and being carried out in secret. Um, the police don't even know. That's a subplot we're not going to get into. But there's police kind of secretly investigating the thing and, and or ignoring the whole thing. I'm totally unaware of what's going on. But the consent that is given to the guards by performing this action of agreement, the signing of the contract, makes the players in the game bound to the rules. They must keep playing. They are taking the tickets offered to them, and in this big game, there are no refunds. <laughs> this, uh, this ritual is performed to create an illusion of choice and convince the players to keep playing the game, despite what occurred or is occurring to them. The room is full of desperate people with nothing to lose, which makes these deadly games to come not the only threat to these players, but also each other. 456 total players and all but one will die in one way or another to win enough money to live like a king and be released from all their debts and troubles, at least in this life, in this realm. They all entered into the game as people willing to bet their personal well-being for money that they don't have. They are willing to also risk everything for a prize that they are unlikely to win. The true first game was the one on the street with the salesman, you know, slapping him. And it was a test to see if these people were weak, broken, greedy, selfish, and sinful enough to pass the test. All 456 players did pass that first test and chose to enter into a higher stakes game for more money and more risk. A prize of tens of millions of dollars for one and a gruesome, painful, anonymous death for all of the others. This whole system, this whole game, this whole system is simplifying a bigger, broader issue of human struggle in this life on this realm we call Earth. Those willing to accept easy ways out of their troubles, easy way out, easy ways out of their troubles and hardships, who want quick solutions to their problems, and who gamble with their very lives in order to live better now, will suffer the destruction, the pain, and the death that they deserve eventually. And you know, that's often sooner rather than later, right? If people agree to play a dangerous game for earthly rewards, they can be sure that the penalty for losing is going to cost them a lot, if not everything. So, and Instagram, you're not going to see this, but I'm going to be pulling pictures up as I go, kind of adding to my explanation of this. As the introduction to the game is happening, we are shown that all players are trapped inside together with no names and just simply assign a number. Their identities have been stripped from them. They are bunked together in the same prison-like room together. They have no possessions, the same shoes, one single bed, and a seemingly equal opportunity in playing the game other than their own physical or mental advantages. It seems apparent but not expressed outright that this game is going to result in a lot of pain and death for the stakes involved in the environment they seem to have entered. Which means for each of the 456 players, there are 455 other players that would receive an advantage by eliminating or killing them. Um, 
to be fair, the first game, in my opinion, is like the only thing that's not really fair because they only really explain the first game using the phrase eliminated. <laughs> they aren't truly, genuinely told that it's um, their lives are at risk, you know, um, which is kind of the shock, the first big shock of the series of the show. Um, but, you know, after that, <laughs> it gets uh, very real, very quick. The first game is about to begin, and most players are just simply confused about what is happening. They are making light of the situation and even joking around. They are brought into a giant room decorated to seem like a field, and on the other side is a tree with a large robot doll of a girl. The game is explained to be red light, green light, where the players must cross the red line on the other side of the giant room before the time is up and must only move when the doll says green light. And if they are caught moving at all after the doll says red light, they are literally shot by a gun on, shot, on site. So it sinks in real quick as they start, you know, as this, this doll keeps saying red light, green light, red light, it starts scanning for their movements and um, bang, <laughs> shot, you know. So it starts really sinking in. A lot of people panic. Um, the game, again, gets very real, very serious, very quickly, and there's a lot of confusion and fear that sets in for all. Um, some react, <laughs> you know, in the incorrect manner and start panicking and moving and running, and almost half of the contestants are killed or eliminated, quote-unquote, eliminated, because they did not understand the rules or because of failures to control their movements out of fear. The old man, who is later revealed to be the creator of the entire game itself, seems to know exactly how to play the game, and does so with a smile on his face, which contrasts greatly with all the others who still don't know what is going on, and are clearly scared for their lives. The game concludes after lots of intense drama and suspense, and about half of the total players have been killed for not completing the game. The players now realize what they have signed up for and are angry and scared. They realize that they are trapped inside of the game, which is on a secret island somewhere in the ocean, and realize that their only way out now is to keep playing until the end. The players return to their prison-like bunk bedroom and the guards return to congratulate them on finishing the first of six games, announcing that 255 players were killed. People start stepping forward and begging to be let go and return home, despite their debts, legal troubles, and terrible life situations. However, the guards then reveal an enormous, clear piggy bank above the players' heads in the large room, and drop tens of millions of dollars of cash into it, declaring it the prize for completing the next five games. It becomes clear that many of the players have greed on their mind seeing this, and they begin debating on whether or not it is worth it to continue playing. They are then allowed to take a vote to continue playing or to stop now and lose all chances at the prize money. The vote ends completely tied, and the old man is the final deciding vote. And, after some suspense, he decides to end the game as well. So all the players are then returned home to their lives with nothing to show for their efforts. Um, those who died were burnt. <laughs> There's a whole thing of where they put them in these caskets decorated to be almost like a present, and then they just incinerate them. So all the dead bodies are just eliminated anonymously. No one knows the difference. They just go missing. 
in the real world, quote unquote, real world. And after go after being allowed to go home, sent back home, they are allowed to come back if the players agree to. And the players quickly realize after returning home that their lives outside of the game are much worse than they remember. So they decide to return and risk their lives for the unlikely reward. They are living for now, and all of their nows are not pleasant. (laughs) Faced with tough, dangerous, or even deadly life situations, they realize that they are willing to risk everything in order to escape the troubles of their lives. Instead of fixating their eyes on eternity, putting their faith and trust in God for salvation and peace, and accepting their lives and the world around them for what it is, finding joy in the good and the bad of life, accepting the consequences of their actions, striving to do what is right, and living for the eternity beyond this place, they they instead decide that they want to live their best lives now. They are willing to risk a violent end in order to achieve it. The players are transported back to the island and into their room together as if they had never left. The eyes of those that chose to return, choose to return to this game are clearly not fixated on God above and living righteously despite their circumstances, but instead their minds and eyes are literally fixated on the illuminated money hanging above them in their prison room. The lit up, if you can't, if you're listening or watching Instagram, you can't see I have the picture here of literally a clear pig, piggy bank, full of cash, full of tens of millions of dollars that is ha- literally hanging above them in this room, illuminated, you know, illuminated. We'll get into that. Above them. So greed constantly sets in. So every time a player dies, more cash is added to the piggy bank, which makes, you know, every death valuable which makes in their mind everyone else around them dying a good thing reinforcing that thought in their mind the players begin to form teams and packs even friendships and romances along the way Um, they're all escorted into a new game arena decorated to be an oversized playground and the players are asked to pick a shape the options are a triangle circle five-pointed star and an umbrella After they select their shape, the guards give them a container that has a hard sugar cookie in it with the outline of their selected shape inside a small needle. You can see on the screen here. They are to scratch out and poke off the shape perfectly without cracking or breaking it in order to pass the game and survive. Those who break their cookie shape or fail to do so before the clock strikes zero are eliminated and shot execution style right there on the playground by the guards in front of and around the other players. Pretty intense scene. It's such a big contrast because it's such a silly scene. It's like they're like in this like playground and they're playing a little game where they're like scratching up, scratching off a little cookie with a needle, you know? And it's something they did in like their childhood. It's like a childhood game. But it's like contrasted with this intense reality that there's like literally an armed guard standing in front of them. There's no way out. If they break the cookie, one little tiny mistake, and you're just literally executed on the spot. It's like such a contrast of like silly childish and like very serious high stakes consequences. So as it goes, we start seeing some betrayals between the players. 
some cheating and some sneaky stuff behind the scenes. The stakes are clearly getting higher and panic starts to set in. The second game isn't about speed or agility like the first, but more about concentration and precision. The main character thinks outside of the box and uses his saliva to melt away the hard cookie and make it easier to poke out his final shape in the final seconds. Others follow his lead and thank him for the idea afterward. All players who failed to poke out their shape are killed. The players who did are taken back to the prison room and it is announced that 79 players were killed in the second game. Small meals are provided by the guards and the you know bad guys, quote-unquote bad guys team, the little thugs that kind of emerge out of all the survivors still playing the game, decide to sneak back into line for seconds, which leaves some players at the end of the line without food. A fight breaks out and one player is beaten to death, like kicked to death. The players, all the players in the room are shocked to realize that there are no consequences for the guy who did the beating and that the guy who died was just simply eliminated from the game and his body taken away. Yeah, it, stuff gets real. It becomes real apparent that the rules of the game aren't just the games, the six games that they are escorted into, the game rooms that they are in to play in, which are intense on their own. After the player dies, guards come in, take his body away, and more money drops into the cash prize hanging above him. And the players' reactions to it vary. You know, more cash just drops into the piggy bank above their head. Um, some of the players are afraid at this. Some seem disgusted or distressed. And some even have a greedy expression as if they just found a loophole to their own victory or increasing their odds of winning. Clearly, this whole game and situation just got even more dangerous somehow. It becomes clear... Pulls up. It becomes clear that they are playing in a bigger game outside of the six deadly games they were originally led to believe they would be playing. And now, just like in a prison, it is survival of the fittest during bedtime in the giant room that they are all living in. There's no escaping. Once the, once the lights are out, the knives come out, right? <laughs> once the knights go out for the night, the real party begins. A riot breaks loose and people begin killing each other. Teams form to better defend themselves and chaos erupts as tens of people are violently killed. The old man eventually stands up on the highest bunk bed and screams that he's scared. And the game master sends in guards to stop the violence after permitting it to happen for a while. There is another of the many signs showing that the old man, this is another of the many signs throughout the show that depict the old man, you know, while he's in there, in the games, playing with the rest of the players equally, no real advantages, secretly has a lot of power and control over what's going on. The whole situation of this fight is somehow scarier than the games themselves, as the players realize there are no restrictions or rules when together outside of the six designated games. The games themselves have rules and strategies, and each player is given a fair chance to beat it or be eliminated for their failures. But in their prison room, there are no rules and restrictions, and the strongest, the most powerful, the ones with weapons, or the ones with large teams can eliminate other weaker, less defended, singled out players who are more valuable in their deaths. 
as each player who is killed adds more money to the prize pool. When natural law reigns, might makes right. When people, for whatever reason, are living outside of the rule of law and without a moral code, then chaos and bloodshed will result. The inevitable war of all versus all, which we talked about a couple weeks back in my live stream 68 about ethics or morality. The war of all versus all, when law and morality breaks down. So everyone in the room realizes now that they have a motive to kill everyone else. And it becomes clear that everyone else's death is strategically beneficial to yourself. As it will secure your own life and add more money to the prize awaiting them in the end. After the night, the players are escorted into an empty room and told to form teams of 10. They assemble teams trying to make a diverse group of skills, but mostly leaning on having more men and physically fit folks. One man has inside information and has figured out what the game is ahead of time and joins up with the bad guys gang to make a team of the most physically strong men as possible, excluding the women and their love interests entirely. The main, the main character ends up with an old man and three skinny women on his team alongside his friends and allies. The game is announced to be tug-of-war, with two teams of ten facing off against each other on raised platforms, the losing team falling off to their deaths together, all ten. Ten versus ten, tug-of-war, one side wins, the other side literally falls to their death. We are only shown two of the events, the one with the bad guys, strongman team, and you know those are the guys who obviously like dominate their opponents and move on decisively. We see them just... Over, overwhelm and overpower the other team and pull them down to their deaths. And the good guys team of outcasts who use insights and strategies provided by the old man to outmaneuver their opponents in various ways um, also advances. The strong team and the wise team are shown to be the best performing and survive as a result. The teams that work together towards a common goal seem to have an advantage in this game the, you know, the bigger game, and they become motivated by their self-interest to work together to survive it. Half of the players are eliminated, you know, literally half of the players just by numbers are eliminated after it's all said and done, and they return to the prison room still scared and fearful of each other, standing guard against each other at all times, taking turns sleeping to prevent surprise violent attacks from the other remaining players in that lawless environment. The players are then taken to another room and told to pair up in teams of two, again not knowing what the rules of the game are yet. They all start choosing allies and friends to pair up with, making the best teams possible. The main character decides to pass on a stronger teammate option to instead team up with the old man, noticing he is being left out entirely. This seems to be a deadly decision in the moment but ends up working out in his favor as the next game is a strategy and luck based one where each person is given 10 marbles and has to win his teammates marbles to secure his own victory and the elimination of the other playing any playing any game of their choice so like childhood marbles where you try to take the other person's marbles when you've successfully taken all 10 from your opponent your opponent is eliminated so they're kind of led to believe that they're teaming up strategically in teams of pairs of two 
to go against everyone else, but in reality they're going up head-to-head. -head. Um, the first one with 20 marbles wins, and the one without any is um, killed. So it sets up a bunch of like drama as a husband and wife team up together, and so obviously they're like competing, and one has to basically be responsible for the other one's death. Friends are teaming up, allies are teaming up, you know, and so of course one has to win, one has to lose, so it causes a bunch of drama. You know, throughout the whole episode, there are various games being played, dramas happening, conversations and whatnot that take place. It's a very emotional episode. Everyone online freaks out about it because it's super emotional and hits the hearts and hits the feels. Um, and we are kind of shown who these characters really are after a lot of, like, you know, timidness and secrecy or whatever. And we kind of are shown by the show... Um, you know, a little bit more about the personal lives and backstories of these characters. In the end, there is some manipulation, some outmaneuvering, and just outright betrayal that leads to half of the players being eliminated. The old man ends up, you know, kind of the whole thing, but basically ends up giving in and giving the main character his marbles. And we are given one of those off-screen deaths of the old man. So, you know, one of those TV show off-screen deaths. <laughs> well, um... So, of course, the old man comes back in the end and is eventually revealed to be the creator of the game, the whole game, the whole thing, which has been played many times before um, throughout the years and reveals a bigger meaning and purpose for the whole thing. The old man is likely the main character's dad, but that is just like a theory that's going around online. Um, regardless, he takes a liking to the main character who is shown to have compassion and love in his heart and seeks to do what is right and good, and not what is smart and beneficial to himself only. They, uh, these, we'll get into it too later, but they will have a profound eye-opening conversation at the end of the season. We'll get to that more. Before the next game, we are shown that behind the scenes of the game are very wealthy people called VIPs, who watch the games for their own enjoyment and gamble amongst themselves on the results. They are waited on and given food and drink as they watch the games being played. One of these VIPs is the old man himself, um, but after he is eliminated from the game, the game master asks him if he enjoyed playing, to which he replies that he did. But he leaves the island and we don't see him again until the finale. One player decides to hang himself during the night as he was paired up with his wife and therefore feels responsible for her death and just guilty in general about the, how gruesome and horrible the games are progressing and becoming. Taking, you know, took her marbles, so he survived the game and he eliminated his wife and then he eliminated himself by hanging himself um, in the night. The guards come in to remove the body, more money drops into the piggy bank above them and, you know, those remaining. And that man's life turns into cold hard cash for the remaining players. So it starts tugging at your heartstrings, you know, you start getting the feels where you're like, oh man, oh man, and then you just see the money cold, cold hearted just drop into the piggy bank, you know. So they are then led to another raised platform room decorated like a mix between a circus and an Illuminati banquet hall. <laughs> with VIPs watching on while wearing animal masks decorated in jewels. There, if you can see on the screen. 
looks like yeah, the whole room looks like a like a you know the, where the VIPs are watching it. It's like um, I don't know, like jungle themed, and they're wearing these animal gold diamond encrusted jewel thing. You know, you know, weird <laughs> Illuminati masks and Illuminati room, like in the jungle setting. setting. And they're watching through plexiglass um, the next game, which again is decorated to be like a Illuminati circus, <laughs> some carnival um, satanic thing. Um, again, two platforms with um, a pieces of glass. Um, VIPs don't wear ties, yeah, <laughs> yeah, ties. The dog leashes of the of the rich are ties, right? <laughs> VIPs don't wear ties. But yeah, so the VIPs are watching on, wearing these animal masks. It's all creepy. There's some other plots and stuff happening, you know. Uh, but the whole thing, just in general, gives off, you know, Rothschild secret ritual party vibes <laughs> the whole time. That's kind of what you're led to believe is like these like secret group of Rothschilds are watching the whole games happen, you know, for their own benefit. Um, so the last, the second to last game begins. They're told they must cross the platform before them in their selected order, which is arranged like stepping stones. But these platforms are made of glass. Half of the glass um, that will, half of the glass is tempered, which will support the player's weight, and a, uh, half are just normal glass that will break when someone jumps on them. So they have to jump from platform to platform. If it's you know it's really just chance and luck, um, you either fall to your death or you survive and you move on to the next platform. So some drama and antics take place, and one by one the players fall to their deaths as the VIPs watch on. Commenting, joking, and indulging in the carnage. You know, the Rothschild party behind the scenes. Laughing and joking as players literally die, gruesome deaths. The three sort of main characters are left at the very end, and after some drama and backstabbing, they make it across the bridge just as time expires, and the glass panels all explode. The glass shards hit them, scraping them up, and badly wounding the last female, remaining female character that you know became a fan favorite with people online everyone loved her wanted her to win um before the final game the players are given new fancy looking yet still prison like clothing and provided with a fancy meal and you know of course the show decorates the prison room to have a black and white checkerboard floor now and a table on top of it shaped like a pyramid with gold furnitures and decorations so, you know, some more of that Masonic, occult, satanic imagery being shown to us at this, you know, Last Supper, quote-unquote Last Supper of sorts between the remaining three players in the game. After the meal is over, the guards take away all of the food and dishes except for the steak knives. One of each is left in front of each player, and they each take them. So all three remaining players have steak knives. <laughs> <laughs> to just keep with them for the rest of their um, experience in the game. So, of course, they are then all cautious of each other, and the main character decides to protect the injured female character overnight from his childhood best friend, who has clearly been backstabbing and betraying people and just doing whatever it takes to win the game. You know, that kind of, like, smart about surviving, but brutal in his tactics. Um, kind of inhumane in his, in his uh, methods. While the female starts fainting from her injuries, the main character, good guy, 
you know, the moral guy, the good guy. He goes on, goes away to bang on the door and ask for medical help. But the childhood friend across the room takes the opportunity to cross the room, the satanic checkerboard room, and kill the female with his steak knife and eliminate her from the game. So with that, we're left with two players who were childhood best friends and one final game, which is called Squid Game. We're introduced to it in the first, first episode, first very opening scene of the whole show. Um, they both have their knives and, you know, instead of the game actually playing out how it's supposed to, they basically just fight to the death, um, instead of actually like playing the squid game. The main character, despite being strangled and stabbed a few times, ends up besting his friend and knocking him to the ground in submission. And instead of crossing the finish line or killing his friend, he spares him and asks him to agree to end the game right then and there so that no one wins and the game would end. He offers a hand to his friend and a way out, but the friend then grabs his knife and stabs himself, asking main character to take care of his mother as a final wish. The main character then wins the game by default and is taken back home and given a debit card with around $30 million in it. I forget what they said. I, looked, I just looked up the dollar amounts, but it's like something $46 billion. I guess it would be 445.6 billion won, but converted it's just $30 million about. Um, so before being dropped off, he has a conversation with the head game master in the black mask, who we see throughout the show, pictured here if you're watching. Black mask, headmaster guy, who, you know, in the subplots of the show has been revealed to be a previous winner of the game who now runs the whole operation. So he won the game himself and then became the guy who carries out the game, runs the whole thing. He has gone missing in life outside of the game and his brother is a police officer who's come looking for him undercover on the island. Um, that police officer uncovers most of the operations, workings and secrets and taking back with him a full phone of info, testimonies, pictures, videos, but you know, is confronted when arriving on shore, almost home free, home scot-free, you know, almost gets away with it. But the mass leader guy shoots him in the shoulder, drops him off a cliff, and it's just obviously another one of those deaths that seems to not be one. And, you know, if they do end up making a second season, which I don't see how they could not not make a second season at this point because of how popular it is and because of the kind of stories that were left on cliffhangers, literally. <laughs> Guy falls off a cliff to his quote-unquote death. Um, you know, if there's another season, that guy's probably definitely going to return and probably cause some trouble. Um, but again, blackface, black mask guy seems to be bad, quote-unquote, because he's running the game. But he actually is weirdly good because he has a moral code in running the game. He has a reason for running the game. And there's a scene where he kind of explains how the game itself is kind of pure democracy. How everyone's given a fair chance. And that, you know, the guards and himself and everyone is not really supposed to be interfering with that fair chance at playing the game. So as a previous winner of the game himself, he kind of understands what the game is and how it runs. And I guess finds some kind of beauty in it, right? He finds some kind of pleasure in, in running the, the, the show, you know. And we'll get more into that, but... 
back to the main character and his conversation with this game master, <laughs> um, black mask guy who, you know, again, is a previous winner of the game and now running the whole operation. Main character is blindfolded and has his hands tied in the back of a limousine. And game master, black, black mask guy, pours himself a glass of champagne. He tells the main character to celebrate and that that was quite a game he played. Main character asks, why do you do this? Black, black mask responds that main character used to bet on horses. And we're showing that at one point in the show. He's a gambler who bets on horse races. And Black Mask Guy responds that this whole game is the same concept and that the players are the horses. He didn't expect the main character to finish his race. He tells main character to think of the whole ordeal like a dream and that it wasn't a really bad one for him either. Main character returns home but finds his sick mother dead in her house and he says... Hey mom, I have money now. Just heart, you know, pulls at the heartstrings, right? Hey mom, I have money now. As he's like hugging his dead mom. As he is realizing, you know, at this moment that his time in the game has cost him more than his friends, but has also cost him the final days and final moments with his mother. We are then transported a year into the future where the main character lives a broken and messy life, not touching the reward money at all, and seems to be without words and expression. He is approached by a woman selling roses who begs him to buy one or else they will wilt and she will be out of luck. He buys one, buys one of the roses from the little old lady with what little money he has left, because again, he's not spending his money. And on the rose is the same card that he was originally invited to play the game with, but this time it has a time and place on it to meet someone. The main character arrives out of curiosity to find that the old man is, an em is in an empty high-rise, sleeping on his deathbed. The main character is angry and wants answers, but the old man is speaking cryptically. He explains profoundly how those with way too much money in, in life, like himself, and those with no money at all in their lives, like main character was, end up having no fun in life and find joy in nothing. The poor have too many struggles to be happy, and the rich don't have any struggles at all to overcome and be happy. He and his super duper rich friends collaborated to make the game in order to give desperate, poor people a chance to get out of their lives and take risks, and the opportunity for super rich people to experience it all by watching or even participating in the games themselves. And this is, you can kind of see on the picture here, Old Man was, was number 001, number one player in the game. And main character is 456, the last, the, out of 456 players, he was the last player. Kind of also bringing that dichotomy up of like the super rich and the super poor, right? Old guy, young guy, you know. He reminds main character that the players were never forced against their will to play. That the rules were fair and universal inside of the game and that they all had a personal reason for wanting to play originally and then keep on playing when the stakes grew and the intensity increased. The old man explains that he joined the games himself before he died to feel like a kid again, to feel joy in life once more. 
During the conversation, the old man also points out of the window at a homeless drunk man on the street corner, seemingly freezing to death, and wants to play one final game, betting on the fate of the man on the street. If nobody stops to help the poor man, you know, on the street, this guy suffering apparently on the street, the old man will be proven right that humanity is selfish and he will win. And if help does arrive for the man on the street before the clock strikes midnight, then the main character will win and prove his point that there are still good humans out there in the world. The old man is attempting to explain how cruel and selfish humans are and how they always act in their own best interests at the expense of others. The main character denies this and continues asking questions. Rage and anger and confusion growing. Old man explains how he has not been able to have fun in a long time and wanted one last chance before he died to have that childlike thrill and rush of games and adventures. The old man then dies right then and there before all of the main character's questions can be answered and just as police arrive to help the dying man on the street. Main character's point is proven and he sees that there are still good people in the world and that it isn't all as dark and bleak as the old man claimed. This is likely one last game the old man organized as it included a time limit where the game ended at zero, 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 or at midnight. And the result of the loss was death for the old man. Likely all planned and staged um, as the water that was given to him was probably some kind of poison or sleeping juice. One final life or death game, you know, where the main character wins again. We then see a quick flashback of the old man opting out of joining the other VIPs and watching the last two games. So after his quote-unquote death in the games and before the final two games started where we kind of first introduced the VIPs, we see a quick flashback of the old man wearing his little Rothschild jewel and crested mask, um, you know, taking it off and opting out of joining the other VIPs and watching the last two games. He asks the Game Master, Black Mask Guy, to entertain the VIPs, and Black Mask Guy asks him why. The old man responds that there is no way watching it can be more fun than playing it yourself. And clearly the Black Mask Guy, the Game Master, the brother of the police officer, and a former winner of the game, thinks deeply about this interaction likely realizing that he himself is considering his experience in playing in the game versus managing the game. After this, main character gets a wild red haircut, goes to adopt the little brother of the last remaining female player, brings him to the mother of the final opponent, his childhood best friend of the the main character, leaves the mother and this new adopted child with a suitcase full of money without explanation, and at the very, very end, he's traveling to the airport to fly to America to be with his daughter who has moved there and with her mother and her stepfather. As he's getting on the train to get to the airport, he sees the businessman who he saw in the beginning slapping a man, some random man, and playing that original game. So main character frantically tries to intervene, but businessman escapes. And main character takes the card and with rage tells the poor soul... They just got done getting slapped not to participate in the game. And so the very last scene is, you know, very last scene of the whole se- whole season, whole show, 
instead of getting on his flight, he calls the number on the card, demands answers, and we're left with the impression that he's going to go on a mission to stop the games from happening in the future. And that will likely be the plot of season two. We see his anger, his rage at it all, you know. This nine episode show has a lot of death and gore. Um, they're not <laughs> conservative about uh, hiding it, <laughs> you know. And so it's very, very a lot of death and gore. So obviously, when you see those characters die off screen, you're like, okay, that person didn't die, because <laughs> they're very, very um, liberal with their uh, death and gore. But a lot of it is kind of necessary violence in trying to prove a point and, you know, to show the evils of humanity in spite of all the bad and evil, or I'm, I'm sorry, as well, to show the evils of humanity and nature, as well as the goodness of humanity and nature um, that can come out in spite of all the bad and evil taking place. So it shows all the bad and all the good, all the good that still can come out with all the bad happening around it. Sin is exposed, showcased, and leads people to their gruesome, painful, anonymous deaths. The sinners try desperately to escape the consequences of their actions and receive the death that they deserve as a result. Pride, gluttony, envy, and greed are on full display. And those who cannot overcome those deadly sins suffer the consequences. The main character, who seems to be the most pure in spirit, although not completely, is the one who wins the game in the end as well as the one who wins the game against the creator in the very end as well. <laughs> Said in the chat says Satoshi. Is that Satoshi Maka? Is it Makamura? Makamori? The guy who supposed the secret shadow man behind Bitcoin? <laughs> is Squid Game one elaborate uh, depiction of Bitcoin? <laughs> One elaborate secret commentary on Bitcoin and Satoshi Nakamoto is the old man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. VIPs don't wear suits. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. The real rulers of the world. Yeah. Satoshi Nakamoto equals the old man. Yeah. <laughs> if Satoshi Nakamoto is even a real person at all. It's an illusion. It's a game inside of a game inside of a game because everything is a game. <laughs> Life is a game. The monetary system is a game. The justice system is a game. Bitcoin is a game. <laughs> Dollars, cash is a game. Relationships are a game. The creation of the game is a game. The organization of the game is a game. And inside of the game itself, there are many games taking place. The blue greenish colored players are participants with roles to play in the game. The pink and red colored guards are participants with roles to play in the game. Although they seem to have authority and have to carry out executions and cremations <laughs> and whatnot, they still have roles to play in the game. The game master in the black mask is a participant with a role to play in the game. He acts as a sort of referee and must ensure that the game is playing out according to the rules in every way, with everyone, player, guard, VIP, and the games themselves. And even in the end, the one who made the whole game 
in an attempt to have fun in life again, realized that everything is just a big game. The irony of the game itself being a collection of various Korean children's games the contestants used to play when they were kids and the stakes were low contrasts sharply with the children's games they are now choosing to play, where the stakes cannot possibly be any higher, right? If you win the game, then you win the game. If you lose the game, then you lose. Simple enough, right? The prize money is enough to live like a king for the rest of your life, and the cost is losing your life, right? The cost of losing is your life. The show is trying to tell us that we all have games we are to play. And if we follow the rules, use strategy, strength, efficiency, experience, teamwork, and remain true of heart, we will win them until we don't. Nobody can truly win the big game, as we all die eventually. But some people, or very few people, can win and live well until they must inevitably lose in the end. There is no escaping the game, at least alive. You must play the game of life well and maintain your marriage, raise your children well, pay off your debts, and support and provide for your family and keep them healthy. Failure to play the game of life well will result in pain and death, not just for you, but for your loved ones and those around you. You must avoid shortcuts and seek to be a good person with faith, loyalty, and hope in your heart at all times to avoid falling into the traps and being eliminated. You must always do what is right, follow the rules, help others out, and be helped by others, and always seek out the truth and the love of God in order to win the game in the end. Not only to live well now, but to also, also enter into eternal salvation and receive heavenly treasures. The Christian player in the game, the only sole Christian player in the game, I guess there's two. There's like a street evangelist, street preacher. But the, the street player in the game is mocked and ridiculed for his prayers and his decisions. And there's clearly some satanic gravel going on with that and another character's story about her hypocritical and violent preacher of a father. But the Christian participant seemed to me to be correct about everything, or <laughs> most things. He should have definitely been stronger in his faith to not sign up for the games to begin with. Like He shouldn't have even been there in the first place. Um, and then to continue on playing in them. And so clearly he has struggles with his greed and his desire to live better now. And not suffer through the world to enter into the kingdom awaiting him at the finish line. But he still does seem to put his faith in Jesus. And he repents of his sins praises God for what little victories and safety he has inside of the game. The show producers do try to make the truth teller seem like a fool inside of the clown world, but I saw, for the most part, a man of faith who, although eventually found himself suffering a painful death, likely would have entered into an eternity with his true father in his kingdom, following genuine faith and true repentance. The main character also never expresses his faith. Um, it's never brought up in his storyline at all. 
and that was clearly done for a reason. He is shown to be just a good person with a good heart who lives morally and wants to help people. The show makes a point to depict him as friendly, trusting, goofy, kind, innocent, but never truly righteous or never one who seeks God, which makes all of those seemingly good characteristics temporary and fleeting, dependent on his life situation and the world taking place around him. He is a beautiful, he is a beautiful and well-built house upon sand. And as much as people want to love him and sympathize with him, he is destined to fall when the waters rise. If the show wasn't made and produced by literal demons, <laughs> allegedly wasn't produced and, and promoted and created by literal demons, allegedly, they would have added that solid foundation beneath his character that is faith, trust, and obedience to God alone. Then he would truly be a pure soul and an extremely powerful character, not just one that people like and sympathize with because he is the best we've apparently got out of everyone shown, depicted. The whole show would be much more profoundly insightful and deep if he found God in the end. They clearly left that out entirely to lead people to believe that they can be good people and quote-unquote saved by their own might, their own skill, their own luck, and just generally in trusting in themselves and not by placing their hearts, their souls, their minds, and their strength in the hands of their creator. They rely on themselves and they rely on the created um, to guide them and lead them quote-unquote save them and instead of giving all of that trust and love and respect and obedience to their creator the main character is clearly depicted as someone seeking the good the true and the beautiful and someone who does that genuinely will find the logos of god in the end it's undeniable those who seek will find in the end although the creators have left that out of the story on purpose they even made him a sad, angry, wrathful person at the end who is seemingly now abandoning the potential peace and love one would find in a relationship with our Heavenly Father to instead go back into the hell of the games and try to make this world a better place. Satan wants us to live for now. He wants us to suffer and beg for his help. He wants us to feel alone and isolated, weak and powerless, meaningless and purposeless, without identity and lacking truth, love, beauty, and goodness. Satan wants people to be lacking, desperate, scared, angry, hopeless, and ungrateful, not content with their lives or their situations, and he wants us to be seeking to live our best lives now regardless of the consequences to come later on or afterwards. This show was pretty satanic in that regard, in both the deliberate displays of satanic Illuminati symbolism and all the violence and the sex and whatnot, and just in the general, the bigger and more general themes and storylines taking place. Um, although there is some beauty and gravy to be experienced and ladled, and learned by 
reading between the lines and rejecting the emotions that the show seeks to make you feel. And yeah, I just love this one kind of cap it all off or whatever. At least that por that portion. I love this posted quote from Rachel Fulton Brown, and I think it applies really well to this show as a whole. Like if there could be a tagline from me about this show, it would be this. Again, this is Rachel Fulton Brown. Satan is a banker. He loves getting us to sign pieces of paper that he thinks will give him title to our souls. Satan is a banker. He loves getting us to sign pieces of paper that he thinks will give him title to our souls. RFB, <laughs> the fencing bear, um, who by the way, RFB um, is scheduled to come on this stream, be on this stream on November 1st, All Saints Day, live, 8 p.m. Central Time, the one true time zone. Yeah, we're going to have an amazing conversation, amazing chat. So tune into that two weeks from now, November 1st. RFB, The Fencing Bear, Rachel Fulton Brown, The Legend, coming on. Tune in for that. Catch it later if you can't be here live. She is amazing. <laughs> amazing. Said says, sounds like storyline tends to awe poor people, awe rich people. Boo, chumps in the middle. Have some BTC. <laughs> smiles yeah yeah is this show just one elaborate allegory about Bitcoin <laughs> I never even put that together <laughs> hey guys Tony's house thanks for the follow what's going on thanks for tuning in thanks for being here send me comments or questions you have for me so my last thought on the show that nobody seems to be talking about you know online or whatever yeah, Joe Gagan says she's great. Yeah, RF, RFB, the legend, coming on my stream. Hopefully, hopefully it all works out. But she's scheduled to be on my stream November 1st. Don't hate me. Don't hate her if she's not, if it doesn't happen. We're going to make it happen eventually. But as of now, it's All Saints Day, November 1st. So yeah, my last thought on the show that no one seems to be talking about, at least that I've seen, is the same one I had when watching when I watched Hostel back in the day, you know, the horror movie Hostel, I think I saw one of the sequels to Hostel, the horror movie. And also, I haven't seen a lot of them either, like one or two of the Purge movies, where, um, you know, the movie or the show is depicting the depravity of rich people watching poor people suffer. So it seems to be this growing, you know, theme as we kind of, as our country and our society kind of drifts into socialism. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. As we seem to be drifting into socialism, it's just, hmm, all these horror movies and suspense and drama and action movies. Hmm. So weird that the, the rich guys are all indulging and watching, you know, poor people suffer. And oh, how horrible are the rich people, right? <laughs> these horrible, gruesome, evil rich people that just pay money and do all this evil stuff to watch poor people suffer and die and be tortured and be killed, you know. They watch from a screen or behind a double-sided mirror as people are tortured and killed and, you know, it instills a sense of horror and anger in us, the poor people, the common man. We're supposed to hate that and feel bad about that. We are led to think about how horrible these people must be for paying to witness such horrors, such atrocities done to 
seemingly innocent or defenseless victims, you know, the poor people. How dare the rich people do that to the poor people, right? But, <laughs> but take a step back and evaluate yourselves because we ourselves are doing the exact same thing when we watch these movies, right? We are literally paying or, you know, like me, avoiding paying <laughs> to watch these shows that depict all of the same graphic violence, the same destruction and death that these secret elites are, you know, in the movie, that the characters in the show are doing. We are doing that literally ourselves. And that disgust and rage that we tend to channel towards these characters in the movie never seem to be focused inward on ourselves. The reflection never seems to be on ourselves. It seems to be focused on those characters on the screen. We don't take that extra step back and ask, why are we indulging in this mess, right? Are we actually the guilty ones for enjoying shows and movies that depict, depict immense amounts of violence, nudity, and, you know, just outright murder, brutality, brutal murders? Just something to consider, you know, if when watching the show you felt something extra about those VIPs watching the games and betting on them and... You know, if you yourself are watching the show and talking about it online or with people in your life, if you just couldn't wait to click forward and start the next episode after all these deaths, you know, just food for thought, something to consider. Um, and with that, that's it for me tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Um, if you did, <laughs> thanks for sticking with it. Listening, listening to my, my rambles, my thoughts. I loved this show and hated this show at the same time, <laughs> right? It was great and horrible at the same time. And just thought, you know, it'd be a good thing to talk about um, the good and the bad in it here on the stream, as everyone else in the world is talking about it. As it's on the mind, it's the zeitgeist of the culture right now. I figured it'd be, it'd be good to explain it and come from, you know, a, a Christian <laughs> moral perspective and not just, you know... Um, people online looking for clicks on their YouTube channels or whatever. Um, those who want to glorify satanic garbage like this in just nothing but positive lights. But yeah, the satanic mindsets and programming are clearly in there. <laughs> it's hard to admit. It slaps you in the face at times how satanic and insane, insanely evil this show is and how much they're trying to program us mentally. But there are still some glimmers of truth and love poking through in some of the scenes, some of the characters, some of the storylines. I think all good shows have to sprinkle in some of the good, true, and beautiful of the world in order to maintain the attention of most humans. I think without, you know, at least a little bit of sprinkles of the truth and beauty and goodness, um, people just tend to tune away. They tend to just turn off, um, you know. I think there has to be some intrigue there that keeps people's attentions and keeps people clicking next, you know, continue watching or whatever. Um, and it has to be kind of sprinkled with some some truth, um, some love in it, even if it's like distorted and perverted and manipulated and twisted. Like they still have to kind of put some of the good, true, and beautiful in there to keep our attention. As you know, I think our souls. I, don't, I mean, I know. I don't think I know our souls naturally gravitate towards truth and love. Um, despite what our thoughts and minds want to focus on or indulge in, our souls just naturally gravitate towards truth and love. So when evil people are trying to push agendas and 
you know, <laughs> deliberately display satanic occult themes and imagery, you know, that have to kind of to keep our souls watching and, and indulging and entertaining in that. They have to sprinkle in some truth and love along the way. So if you can discern well, if you can read between the lines, you can kind of see some of the, like the insights and the profound concepts. Um, but I still just would not recommend watching the show again. It is far too violent, sexual at times, and in general just dehumanizes people and lacks true logos throughout it and at the end. It isn't something that is going to lead people towards the kingdom of God. And therefore, in general, it's just a waste of time. I feel sort of shameful that I kept going <laughs> and finished the whole thing. Um, but after watching the first couple episodes and seeing how many people were talking about it online and how everyone seems to be obsessed with it, the imagery and the, the suspense and the action, the drama, I figured I would just push through, finish the show, and make this review and this explanation of it, you know, for you guys now here. Again, it's like the most watched Netflix show of all time, so people are going to be watching it and thinking about it and theorizing and talking about it. Just figured I'd inject some, you know, some morality and some righteousness and the perspective of a Christian <laughs> and how we kind of should see it and some of the insights we should take out of it and how we should also recognize and realize the evil and the programming it's trying to push on us. But hopefully my breakdown here tonight can satisfy y'all enough who haven't watched it yet to decide to pass on it. I already told you about it. It's a wrap. You've seen it because <laughs> you've heard or seen me explain it here today. Um, save yourself the watch, the violence, the gore, the satanic satanic imagery, the manip you know satanic demonic grabble <laughs> from the creators and the producers of it. You know, just instead, go read interesting things and learn useful skills um, instead of watching this. <laughs> I would have been better off for doing so. You'll be better off for doing so, which is kind of the funny ending irony. The great irony here tonight is that <laughs> I wasted my time watching this show and looking stuff up and preparing the stream. But hopefully that endeavor saved you out there watching and listening from making the same mistake. Um, and again, you've listened to me talk about it. You've heard it. Spoilered. Everything's been spoiled. Everything's been explained. You got it. You get it. Everyone's getting it. Everyone's getting it. So don't watch the show. <laughs> there. Saved you, the, saved you the, the wasted time. But anyways, yeah, Joe Gagan says, very good insight, Sean. Thank you, brother. Hope all is well. I will be playing, playing for, your bro for your friend. He said he's a de facto brother. Basically a brother to you. Um, Jimmy Lee, we're going to be praying for him tonight for sure. But anyways, as always, I'll be back next week with another interesting topic. Um, you know, this time something more insightful and more useful to y'all. I'm trying to get a guest on the show, but it seems doubtful at this point. I haven't, don't have confirmation yet. Hasn't responded to my, my things yet. We originally responded, but recently has stopped responding, so... He may or may not be coming on the show. Interesting person if he does come on. I think you're going to love, you know, hearing me watch me chat with him about an interesting topic. And, some, you know, just get his takes and opinions on stuff. Various topics. Things you guys hear in the chat bring up. We'll be talking about it. If he doesn't come through, if he doesn't pull through, we're going to be talking about something else that's interesting. Another interesting short story and topic that I've been diving into lately. 
um, on next week's stream here live. You know the deal. Monday night, 8 p.m. Central. Um, two weeks from now, again, Rachel Fulton Brown's supposed to be getting on. So same thing. If she can't make it, we'll have another interesting thing I've been reading about. Another interesting topic. And we'll reschedule both those interviews. Or we might have two interesting weeks back-to-back with some good interviews. And that's, you know, of course, every Monday night, 8 p.m. Central, one to the one true time zone, 8 p.m. Central time, live here on the Sean V. Planet YouTube channel. If you follow me on YouTube, subscribe, follow, whatever, dlive.tv slash Sean V. Planet, trovo.live slash Sean V. Planet. I'm going to get on Odyssey eventually. Not, not there yet. As always, the replay videos are on BitChute and Rumble and YouTube. And you know, find my channels on those websites. And all the audio is on podcasts. It's in audio podcast form on all of your apps, whatever app you watch or listen to, not watch. Um, again, just find Sean V. Planet on there. Subscribe, follow, listen, enjoy. And just go out this week and do good, be good, love, and be loved. I love y'all. Take care. A lot of my artwork comes from a good man and friend of mine, Timmy J. Follow him on Instagram at S-W-I-T-C-H-B-A-X. His company, Mountain Folk, is amazing. They promote artists. They create mesmerizing art. And they sell comfy clothing that helps support groups that are fighting against human trafficking. Be sure to follow at F-O-L-K-M-T-N on Instagram, as well as at M-T-N-F-O-L-K-S-H-O-P. And be sure to shop at mtn.folk.shop. This is not a paid ad. Just help good people do good things.